culture comes into the room with the client. That is one of the wisdom gems that is shared today on episode 92 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. I am your host, Rose Griffin, and I had an exhilarating chat with Maria Davis-Pierre from Autism in Black. Maria is a mental health therapist, and she is in the autism world because one of her children was diagnosed as being autistic. And she has a journey that she is going to share with us on this episode that is so very important for all parents and professionals to listen to. She talks to us today about how can we as professionals be culturally responsive. And I think this is something I'm always striving to be better at. And I think we need to really kind of reflect on how are we doing now? What steps can we do and take to be better? And she talks about making sure that we have ongoing communication and that we come from a place of learning. I'm very eager for us to dive on in to this episode today. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us on episode 82 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have an amazing episode for you today. We have with us Maria Davis-Pierre from Autism in Black. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me, Rose. I'm so excited. And I was just telling Maria that I learned about her work um, kind of through social media, which I talk about a lot on the show, because when you have an online business, it just it encompasses at least my whole life. Um, and uh, and I also learned about your work at, through the Milestones Conference, which I talk about a lot here. And I'm now on the Executive Planning Committee, which has really been cool because I've been a part of it for 20 years, just starting as a participant and then speaking and a conference planner. Um, um, and so it's just been exciting to see how the conference has grown. And now with it being virtual, um, I know you're not located here in Ohio, but you could be a, a part of the conference, which I think is so cool that it is nice to be in person, but it is nice to do virtual because you can reach so many more people. So I agree. I Absolutely. agree. That aspect just lets you go uh, nationwide. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And worldwide too. I'm sure you get yeah. inquiries from everywhere. Sometimes I'll get emails and people I'll be like, and where are you located? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's usually <laughs> not, it's usually not around the corner, but um, so I'm excited <laughs> for you to, to share your journey. Can you tell our audience how um, you got into the autism world, kind of your journey and why you're so passionate um, and started this business? And I'm, I'm excited to dig on into your story. Sure. So we have um, three children. We have a 10-year-old and we have a set of boy-girl twins who just turned seven. Mm -hmm. And our 10-year-old is the first person in our house who was diagnosed autistic. And she officially got her diagnosis at 18 months. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a licensed mental health counselor, so I'm a clinician. My husband is an internist. He's a physician. 
and we were going into rooms with our colleagues, I noticed around six months, some um, characteristics that kind of clued me in. I was like, hmm, I wonder. And I went to my husband. I said, I, I think, you know, we need to check this out. I think she might be autistic. And he was like, yeah, focus on your clients. Don't 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 bring that over here with my kid. <laughs> right. right. Husband. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then at 10 months, she actually regressed in her speech. So she stopped saying mom and dad and ball and things like that. And I was like, okay, we need to go get this checked. So we started the process with our developmental pediatrician. Then in our state, we went to, um, she referred us to early steps, which um, other states may have it as a different name, right. but it's before three, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the program before three. Um, went to them. They said, yeah, we do think she's autistic, but she's too young. We can't give her a diagnosis. So we went to a pediatric neurologist and they he had us do all types of expensive testing, mm -hmm. DNA mm -hmm. testing. She had to get an MRI. They had to put her to sleep uh, for that because she was oh, so young. Yeah. So, you know, we're doing all of these these testing and we're paying out of pocket for these things. You know, luckily we have that financial privilege mm -hmm. privilege to do so. And he was like, um, yeah, I do think she is autistic as well, but I want to wait a year and a half to be sure. And at that point, I was like, yeah, no, this is this is just not going to happen. We're talking yeah. about after the early intervention phase, you're talking about leaving us in limbo because we know that a lot of times insurances are not going to cover anything, the little that they may do if there is no official diagnosis. So I actually camped out in his um, office for a week boycotting. And I said, I'm going to be here when you open and I'm going to stay till you leave until you give us the, the paperwork. And it mm -hmm. took him about five, six days. And then he was like, yeah, get her out of here. <laughs> I, I read that on your website. And I was like, oh, yeah, I like this. I also have three kids. But I was like, this is mama bear. Because that's the thing that's so wild about you know, advocating for your kid is like, you are your child's best advocate, whether it's autism or something else at school or, you know, healthcare, no one cares about your family the way that you do. And other people would just be like, oh, okay. And not want to, you know, ruffle feathers because that took some, you know, confidence to go in there and be like, this is what we're doing. And yeah, because there were so many signs and waiting yeah. a year and a half. I mean, you're in healthcare, so you know that early intervention is so important. I mean, I think that's oh, good because other parents, I know, you know, in my private practice, I work with younger kids and, you know, parents are always like, oh, can I do this with the school? Yeah. You know, and like I worked in the schools yeah. for 20 years. So I try to coach parents because they're just not sure of what their legal rights are. But Good for you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. And, and in the in our community, in the in the black community, we're we're taught not to really push those in high positions. We're taught not to push those who are, you know, your physician and things like that. So for me, that was something that was totally out of the norm. But we got her got her paperwork. And then I started meeting with my colleagues. They started coming into my home and I'm like, mm -hmm. these people do not realize that we're black, right? <laughs> They're like, oh, okay, we're just <laughs> going to apply these interventions and not understand that there's a cultural dynamic that we have to respect. Mm -hmm. And when they weren't respecting that, it became, oh, you're, you're, your family's the issue. You're resistant. You're things like that instead of understanding that they weren't being culturally responsive. Mm -hmm. And I saw that this was a norm. So that's actually how I, I started Autism in Black to bridge that gap, to bring that awareness and bring the information, um, to the Black community. 
Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I think what, and I think too, and, and it's, you know, there's not a lot of, and I was going to look up the percentage, but there are not a lot of speech language pathologists mm-hmm. that are black. So I think that, you know, and now a lot of times in our ethical code, I know for BCBAs um, and now for speech therapists, we have to take an hour. It's going to be a rule on, on diversity or cultural responsiveness. So you know, it's slow moving, but these are steps in the right direction. But um, it's so great that you started Autism in Black. So how how did you start it? So did you start it with like a blog? I'm just cur- from a business sense. I'm curious because, <laughs> yeah, you know, like I've had my business five years and it started with, I had a product called the Action Builder Card. So it was like, I had a product that I was like, oh my gosh, I need to sell my product, then a blog, then a podcast, then courses, you know how it goes. Um, So what did you start with first? Like the website, a blog, or how did you get started? So um, I was already a licensed therapist um, right. prior to um, my daughter getting her diagnosis and prior to me even having uh, any kids. Um, so I had my private practice and okay. I started adding it into that, hmm. um, doing services, doing outreach, um, engaging and empowering and supporting Black parents in that. But then it actually outgrew my private practice. So I had to yes. separate it yes. and give it right. an official name. Yes. <laughs> um, so we separated it in 2016. And, um, you know, I came up with the name Autism in Black. We got our website, got our trademarks, got all of that. And We've been going ever since. It initially started with just focusing on Black parents and providing Mm -hmm. that support. As we've grown, we've added in our podcast, our conference, and Mm -hmm. now we do trainings for organizations to help them be more culturally responsive to our community. So that way they know the skills they need Mm -hmm. so they don't actually harm us when they're going in and working with us. Right. Yeah, that's that's really great. Um, It's awesome that you're offering those services. And I'm, I'm glad for you just to be on. I know you do a lot of podcast guesting, but for people to learn about it, because I think it's so very important. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, can you share some factors that may interfere with that intervention for Black autistic students? Like I know when you said people were coming into your home, I know I have just a handful of private clients because I too, I'm like very busy with all the other courses and all the things. So I just have a handful of clients, but you know, I do really build this bond with people when I'm going into their homes and I'm not serving any Black autistic children, but I do have a family that is from another country. And so I'm always sensitive and, and try to just have ongoing communication. You know, like the one day, I think in my therapy bag, I had um, a turkey in different colors feathers. Well, I know these people do not celebrate Thanksgiving. And so, you know, we had a dialogue like, is it okay? It seemed like he wanted to play with that. And I just tried to be really open about things. Um, And I don't know if that's because I'm just old now, like seasoned. So I'm not afraid to ask. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just wondering, like, maybe what what can we do to make sure that we are encompassing everybody's culture and, you know, specifically the black community as well? Well, that's definitely one way to do it. I think a lot of times professionals, we learn our interventions in school and we think that we're supposed to cookie cutter approach it across the board and not tailor it to specific individuals when that's what you should be doing. Because mm-hmm. even though I we, we're a Black family here, what we do in our home, another Black family might not. Um, but definitely having tools that represent the culture you're seeing, the hairbrushes that were brought in with for my daughter, oh. she never seen that before. 
before because that's not what we use, right? Right. So that was one thing. Um, Again, understanding that I had a client who um, they were from um, a country in Africa. Okay. And uh, the school was trying to say that the the child was so behind because he did not use utensils. And why isn't he doing this? Mm -hmm. And I said, did you ask if they actually use utensils in their home? Because culturally, they may eat with their fingers. So that might be why he's doing that. Not because he's behind, because culturally, that's what he's doing in his home. And they never thought to ask that. So a lot of times what happens is they see the things that we do culturally as deficits. Mm -hmm. So we get marked for them. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, you're behind and you're this. And no, it's just the culture of my home that you have to understand, you know, having those conversations with your clients. Um, One of my um, therapists for my children had on their intake form. Is there anything culturally we should know about you? And that to me was Mm. the best intake form I've saw because I got to write stuff down. We had a conversation about it and it was an ongoing conversation as other things came up. But it's so important to understand that you're going to have to have these uncomfortable conversations because you're going to need to tailor what you're doing um, with each family. Right. Yeah, I like that. You're like, oh, let me get started. Yeah, that's a good open, <laughs> you know, open ended type of question. Because, you know, mm-hmm. like I teach this ethics course for people who are becoming BCBAs because I'm also a BCBA. And, you know, we did some talking about diversity, but it, it's just one thing to just like, you're just scratching the surface, right? When you're yeah. in school and you're learning. And then I think you get into, you know, pigeonholed. When I was working in the public schools, I was working in an area that there were a lot of Jewish people and it was like a, a very very diverse, you know, um, a very diverse uh, clientele that I was seeing. I remember the one time, this was so interesting. We had, um, because there are so many different nationalities in this school district that I worked at, it was close to the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, we had families come from different nationalities and they did a talk about how to pronounce uh names, names Mm -hmm. that were common in their uh, native language. And I thought that was so interesting because I, as a speech therapist, sometimes, um, you know, I want to make sure, like before I had you on the podcast, I don't want to assume your name's pretty easy, but, you know, I don't want to assume that you say it a certain way because your name is really tied into, and I wonder if that's true for Black children too, you know, it's important for us to be able to say a child's name, right? Most definitely. And and what you'll see is that sometimes professionals will say, oh, I'm just going to shorten your name or can I call you this? No, you need to learn how to say my name, you know, ask me, say it after me. Like, you know, it's important. You're just going to shorten my name because you don't even want to make the effort or you're just going to call me whatever you feel like because you don't want to make the effort. It's, you know, extremely disrespectful. Um, Mm -hmm. And as professionals, we should really be trying to set a certain standard, you know, when it comes to the the interventions that we're providing, you know, because we come from a place where we do have the upper hand and we're taught that in schools that we come in in a place of power. So when you're doing these kind of things, it makes the family feel like they don't have any choices, except especially black families, because we don't push the issue a lot of times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. That's good to know. Yeah. I thought that was very fascinating. I was like, it was a PD in the morning. It was very early. And I was like, (laughs) oh, this is like the speech therapist 
just to me was like, oh, this is fascinating, you know, because there are some common names that are Jewish names and common names Mm -hmm. and some other nationalities that were represented in the school district. So I thought that was really great. But I mean, it's something as simple as that, that means so much. Or you talked Mm -hmm. about the hairbrush. It's like, we need to know what's going on in the home. And these are Mm -hmm. just basic 101 that you think if you were talking to professionals, they would be like, of course I would ask that. But, you know, case in point, right? It was overlooked. It's not. You know, even having um, communication cards or any kind of graphics similar to your clients, I had to make our own products that look like my kids because they they never saw themselves in any of the products at school. Um, Their therapists were bringing in. So I had to actually create a whole, uh, you know, emotions line um, just so they could see themselves in there so they could understand why diversity is important. You should have um, children of different skin tones, children with different types of hairstyles to understand that not everybody is going to be, you know, white in your products. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, I, I definitely tried to be cognizant of that when I was, cre- I have two physical products, the Action Builder Cards and Double Up. So I tried to be cognizant of that. Um, I had somebody on that was talking about literacy once. We did like a training and I had never heard this before, but she said, you know, for diversity, having books that are a window in a mirror so that mm-hmm. kids could see the outside world and then they like a mirror so that they can see people that look like them. And I just think that's so important and something that people just don't talk about enough. I mean, I think sometimes on Instagram, I definitely follow certain accounts that talk about literacy just because that's a big part of being a speech therapist. I always try to tie different books in, but it makes so much sense if we really analyze what's in our therapy room and we don't see any diversity, then that's probably a problem. We need Mm -hmm. to just start there. Oh, so that's cool. So do you sell these visuals on your website? Is that something that you actually sell or something? Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, we have cool. a coloring book and, and everything. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you can go to the website and click that shop tab and oh, it'll nice. be right there for you. <laughs> That's great. So if somebody's listening, we have a lot of speech therapists and BCBAs that listen and some parents. So if people are listening and they're thinking to themselves, like, ooh, this hits close to home. I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable and I, I don't want I don't want Maria to see what's going on in my in my <laughs> therapy room. I think there's room for growth, right? But that, that's why we listen to podcasts. We just want to make uh-huh. we want to make little changes. Um, that that equate to big ones. So wh- what can we do as providers? If you had kind of a couple strategies that we could do to make sure that we're being culturally responsive, how can we get started and kind of analyzing, you know, are we culturally responsive? How can we do better? What do you suggest? One is understanding that it's okay to be uncomfortable because within that discomfort, growth can happen if you sit in it long enough. Um, so don't shy away from that. You know, check your biases. Um, that's so important because we know as professionals, um, the, the biases are built into our evaluations a lot of times, you know, especially yeah. when you're looking at um, speech and how Black people talk. Oh, you know, that's it can be huge. The deficit a lot huge. of times. So, yes. you know, check that and understand mm-hmm. And it's not a deficit. It's how we are. It's a language. You know, right. it's how we communicate with one another. Right. So check your biases and understand that that culture comes into the room with the client. We don't leave it like out of the room. It comes with us. So you have to be understanding that, OK, is this a cultural thing or is this something I should look into more? You know, um, check what your the 
tools that you're using. Like I said, make sure that they are representative of the clients that you're seeing, um, because that can be a reason why your clients are not looking at them. They're not paying attention. They don't know how to use them because it's something that is considered foreign to them. They don't know. They're like, okay, I don't know what this is. Um, and have conversations with your clients, have conversations with the families to see um, where, what you can do culturally that can be helpful. How can you uh, bring in something that is going to help bridge that gap for you and them? You know, yes, we bring the tools and interventions, but they have to be able to do it even after we leave them. And if we're not coming from a place of being culturally responsive, then those tools are not going to be something that they continue to use, you know, so always be willing to learn, you know, and know that, yes, you may be from a specific background. I am a black woman, but I am not knowledgeable or culturally competent on all things black women. So even me, when I'm talking to other individuals and other families, I'm still going to um, be curious and ask questions because they are different from me. There's cultures within cultures. Mm -hmm. So always come from a place of learning as well and understand this is a lifelong process Mm -hmm. and not something that is going to be, oh, I'm culturally competent tomorrow. I took my one hour course and I'm ready to go. No, it's a lifelong process and you will mess up and you will do things that are like, oh, shouldn't have done that. But be honest with yourself and understand that I can apologize and I can move forward from this instead of shying away and understanding, that, oh, nope, can't talk about this. Don't want to do this. No, come from that that perspective. So those are some beginner tips that I always give professionals when I'm working with them. Yeah, I love that. And I love that culture comes into the room with the client. I think that is so, I mean, yeah, because every client is individualized. And, you know, I always love Stephen Shores. You know, if you met one person with autism, you have met one person with (laughs) autism. I'm trying to get him to come on the podcast um, because I just love that. And it's so true. And and just like you're saying, you're a Black woman and there's probably other Black women that, you know, you're talking with them and have an open dialogue because, you know, everybody has their own cultural things and we need to, to be open to that. And I think that's what's kind of hard. When I was a new clinician, you know, without my own kids, I was just nervous. You know what I mean? Like, especially as being a public school speech therapist. So I just stepped away in May from for 20 for 20 years in the schools um, to focus on ABA speech because I also have three kids and you know, it's a lot of things, <laughs> right? Lot. It's a lot of things. I can only do so much. But um, you know, it's just when you're in a public school, it's kind of hard because you <sighs> It's almost like your rapport building with the parent is, um, it's like stifled. Yeah, it's limited, right? Because, you know, I might want to be asking you a question, but then maybe I feel like I can't. And then I don't want to offend anybody. And parents have their guard up, especially in a public school. At least that's how I felt. So I like seeing the home clients because I'm in their home. So it's a totally different vibe. And I feel like, you know, you become closer with those parents because you're seeing them every week. So um, I think that's kind of difficult. So do you act as like, an advocate or a coach or talk to me about yes. like how you're helping in the public school. I'm curious. About yes, that. I actually train a lot of schools um, okay. and bring in how they can, you know, bridge that gap. Because what we see a lot in and Dr. LaShawn Hannon, who is a professor and someone who I respect wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. has done a study on how, you know, um, 
schools push out black parents there there's and there's that gap when it comes mm-hmm. to us yeah. um and and schools have to understand that the way that they normally engage parents may not work for black parents mm-hmm. um so that's a, a difficult thing and something that they have to come to terms with when it comes to schools there's so many rules um a lot of rules that they've made in-house <laughs> that's just not legal yeah um, <laughs> right and they go Ooh, by that yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they, you know, they go by those things. But um, luckily, my kids are at an amazing school. So the uh, therapist has actually taken my cards to use them within. Like, I've I've given it to her. She's like, okay, let's use these. So, you know, there are ways around it um, that you can be engaged with the parent and let them know that, okay, yes, I do want to help. A lot of times when you're have meeting with a parent that is not that first that's not that parent's first time meeting with a professional right so you may be coming in with a good intention and wanting to help but they've probably had 25 other providers Mm -hmm. that were you know horrible right 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 they're just not respect respectful of them that caused Mm -hmm. so many issues so sometimes we do come in with um, our own biases. Sometimes mm-hmm. we do come in with our own guard up because there's such a long history right. of people not doing the right thing. So you do have to understand you may have to maneuver around that to get that trust and rapport. Mm-hmm. But building, you know, a relationship with a parent, even in the school, makes your job easier because they then will do what you're doing in school. They will do it at home. And then the child has no issues because they know that it's going to be consistent across mm-hmm. the board so yeah it's difficult and there's so many roadblocks to it um, but there's trainings out there there's ways to engage the parent um, so it can be beneficial to the student yeah I love that and what I always tried to do I worked um, middle school high school for the past 10 years is I always it, it about killed me because I had so many kids at the public school but I would oh, send an email to every single parent that was on my caseload and yeah. people thought that was crazy but I just always said like hey I'm gonna be your child speech therapist if you have any questions concerns or just want to hop on a call to say hi and I felt like that was at least putting it out there that I was somebody that was supportive mm. that somebody that was helpful and that's that's so true true that people almost are coming, especially middle school, high school level, are coming with a learning history of if this child was diagnosed, especially young, like your daughter, you know, think by the time your child's in sixth grade or eighth grade or ninth grade, how many speech therapists have you interacted with? How many school psychologists have Mm -hmm. you met? Everybody's going to be different and, you know, have a different working relationship. And so that is true for for professionals, because I think sometimes, you know, we hear about, oh, this parent's really, you know, hard to deal with or this, you know, this can be challenging. Um, And I've had parents that were, you know, you know, we had a due process with a different therapist. And I just tried to like block that out of my mind and be like, okay, I'm going to just build rapport with this parent. And, you know, I've been able to do that with historically parents that were hard to work with. And and it's probably just because they had a bad experience, right? Or weren't, weren't getting the correct services for their exactly. child. Exactly. There's so many things that contribute to that. I mean, when we're looking at going through due process, the, the process to get to due process Ugh. is in itself and expensive, yes. Yes. you know, so they're essentially just advocating for their child. That's right. all that 
trying to do, you know, and at the basis of it all, you know, we're all coming in just wanting, hopefully, to do better for the child, to have the child get the skills that they need to complete Mm -hmm. uh, the goal. So, you know, at the basis of it all, we can look at that and have that in common. You know, there's so many administrative reasons why school psychologists, uh, BCBAs, um, speech um, SLPs are so overworked within the school system. And those things have nothing to do with the parent. The parent is just wanting to make sure that their child is getting the services that it states in the IEP. But sometimes professionals will take that out on the parent. And it's not the parent's fault that, you know, we're in a shortage across the board in professionals when it comes to education. You know, I'm getting my um, special education uh, PhD right now. And, you know, that's one thing we had to talk about was the staff shortages. And it's horrible, you know. Um, so we we understand that there is that twofold of I am so overworked, overwhelmed, and stressed out because of how the whole administrative part of my job is. Mm-hmm. But at yes. the same time, ethically, we have to show up for our clients as well, you know. And a part of that is engaging with the parents. You have to go to IEP meetings and provide your your input anyway. So why not have a rapport with that parent and let them know? Because right. I'm the type of parent that's wanting the da- the data anyway. Yes. You're going to see right. me several times throughout the school year <laughs> yes. because I'm going to want the data before the meeting. I'm going to yes. be talking to you about what can I do that's going to be helpful in right. the home to make it easier for my child. So I'm yes. the type of parent that's going to, if you haven't emailed me, I'm emailing you anyway. So, you know, <laughs> right. you're seeing me. <laughs> yes. No, I always like that. I had one parent that was, um, they were, you know, very intensive. We we had a lot of FaceTime together, but I always thought it was very sweet. This pre-COVID, but at the end of the meeting, she would always give us a hug, which I thought was very sweet. You know what I mean? She was like, <laughs> I really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. You know, I'm going to keep you on your toes. But yeah, we've ha- I've had my data subpoenaed. I mean, you name it. But I think, you know, I went to an ethics talk once and the presenter, a speech therapist said, you know, the IEP is what you said you would provide. And I think like in school, they don't drive that home enough. It's like, this is a big deal. This IEP is a legally binding document. You hear about that, but I always took so much pride in writing my IEPs and talk about that a lot. Like IEP content on Instagram, TikTok, like it it definitely hits because people (laughs) know, right? As a parent, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is a big process. As a professional, it's like, you know, this is a big deal. Like, and I always said people would be looking over my IEPs like with Mm -hmm. a fine tooth comb because a lot of my kids got outside services and had advocates, lawyers, you name it. But I just think we need to write every IEP that way. So, oh my gosh, it's a whole, it's a whole process. Um, well, where can people find out more about you and your, and all the great work that you're doing? Um, you can definitely go to my website, uh, www.autisminblack.org. On the website, it has a link to my podcast, um, the Autism in Black podcast, which is available on most uh, podcast streaming platforms. It has a link to the shop tab where you can get um, Autism in Black merch. You can get our courses. You can get our coloring book. Mm. Um, and then it also has a tab of where you can work with me. You can find me on Instagram at Autism in Black or on Facebook at Autism autism in BLK. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maria, for coming on. It was really great to connect. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.